Hey, everybody. Welcome to the live Q&A with uh, myself and John Howler. And uh, we, there's a lot to talk about today, uh, but we want to take your questions, too. So I'm going to let John wind us all up because he's really good at that. And um, there, I'll, I'm sure some of you have been paying attention to what's going on in the news this morning. Breaking news. Um, we're going to get into that, but we want your questions. So do us a favor, uh, whether you're on the app, the website, or YouTube, uh, or wherever you're watching, Facebook, wherever it is, make sure you put the word question in all caps and then your question so we can find it quickly and get to it. And uh, so, John, let's let, just, just take it away, John. Take it away. So uh, I'll just sort of preface with some uh, shameless self-promotion. I'm doing a, a live webinar podcast tomorrow with Jonathan Feldstein of Inspiration from Zion podcast. Uh, and I I can post here or later the link where you need to register for it. I think it's a Zoom and there's a limited amount, but it'll be posted later. And it's going to be a discussion with me and um, Jonathan, moderated by Jonathan Feldstein and uh, Jonathan Tobin, who is the editor-in-chief of JNS News, JNS.org, which is probably one of the most trustworthy websites right now. It's where Caroline Glick and Melanie Phillips and some other great writers and Jonathan Tobin himself are located. So that'll be at 1.30 Eastern tomorrow. And as I was preparing for that, I was texting and emailing back and forth with Jonathan Feldstein. And, uh, you know, yesterday was a bad day. Uh, for the IDF in Gaza, uh, 24 soldiers were killed. 21 of them were reservists. And I believe 21 of them were killed in one single explosion that caused some buildings to collapse. And uh, it's heartbreaking. Um, uh, Jonathan said that one of the young men killed was the brother of one of her his daughter's closest friends, and he died, uh, his wife is pregnant and expecting a child. So that child will grow up now without its father. And so there's just, you know, it's just sort of a heavy, I just feel real heaviness in my heart today. It's heartbreaking to watch all of this happen. And uh, I think we knew that this would happen. People in Israel are upset. Uh, the coalition seems to be coming apart. And there's tremendous, so we'll start off with this, there's tremendous pressure on Israel. So, for example, here's an article this morning uh, from, uh, I don't know if it's in the Jerusalem Post today or not, it should be in tomorrow, at least. It's by a guy named Dan Perry, and I don't even know what he is. He asked the question, like, how do we, how do we resolve this? What should we do? And so what his question is should is and his conclusion is israel should engage with the u.s proposal of a palestinian authority run gaza to gain saudi normalization it's an opinion piece so you know blinken has gone to netanyahu with a plan uh to resolve everything and return for normalization. And it, it's so interesting the way this works because it's like a lot of the governments of the world and the press are coordinated. So for example, last week there were articles all over the place, New York times, Washington post, uh, the New Yorker of all places, 
about and then Atlantic and all the other people pl- uh, chimed in about oh Netanyahu's ambition Netanyahu's responsible for all of this we go, we've got to get rid of Netanyahu now they come in with then the Arab governments came in with a peace plan that was on the front page of the Financial Times last uh, Thursday or Friday that you know Arab plan this is how we're going to get the peace and we'll get normalization between Israel and all the Arab countries, and specifically Arab countries, which is kind of an interesting issue because, for example, Turkey and Iran are not Arab countries. And and so now, and then here's a person writing in the Jerusalem Post saying that this is the only way for Israel to go forward and to not have the world completely turn against them. And the, the, the sad truth is that the world has turned against Israel, whatever uh, good feelings or support, I guess, that they had after October 7th is pretty much evaporated around the world. And Tom, I'm, I'm telling you, my Twitter feed is just full of anti-Israel hatred. Oh, it's nonstop. And, and, the, and then yeah. and there are people that are doing it that we would have hoped would know better. So that, I'm going to use a name. So I, I just happened across the uh, rumble channel of Judge Napolitano. We all love Judge Napolitano when he was on Fox News. And I, I'm just telling you, everything he puts up now is an anti-U.S., anti-Israel screed. And he has on former CIA, CIA guys and military guys. And it's all Israel's fault. It's all the U.S. fault. And early on when this started, I saw one conservative channel, I won't name, said, oh, this is just more the neocons and, and, and Zionists causing all the problems in the world. I see it nonstop. And so as we watch what's happening, we're going to, by the way, everybody, we're really going to get into this. John's going to be joining me um, today uh, at 2 o'clock Pacific time. East Coast, 5 o'clock, we're going to do a live on the current push to peace because uh, I mean, we're, this is what it is. It's all this anti-Semitism. It's the Judge Napolitano. It's all of this pressure that's coming from all over the world. And just real quick, John, and, and then we have some questions I'm going to get sure. to. There's a question from, you can think about this while I'm talking, but Hannah Clyde, Hannah Clyde on the website has a question. What are your thoughts on Amos 1, the prophecies against Damascus, Gaza, uh, Tyrus and Edom, are they past, future, or possibly uh, past? And then, uh, okay. okay. So now with what John was talking about regarding Jerusalem Post, these are just some of the things. We'll get into this a lot more because, folks, there is a peace plan that's coming. We're going to get into Daniel chapter 9 at 2 o'clock today uh, because of this pressure for Israel to be forced into a peace plan um, Folks, this article, Jerusalem Post, says Israel should engage with U.S. proposal of a PA-run Gaza to gain Saudi relations. It's an opinion piece, but it's it's a forced piece. It's a two-state solution. Listen, everyone, this is coming. I don't know if it's coming right now, but we know there is a peace covenant. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 says, Then he, Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. We're going to get into that. Um, the whole bit, but it says number one on here in Jerusalem Post, it would end the war with its cost of life on both sides and to the economy. 
So in other words, it'd end all the problems. It would achieve the return of the hostages. It would mobilize Saudi Arabia, moderate, moderate countries in the Gulf and region, and all the West behind Israel's goal of ridding Gaza of Hamas rule. It aspires to involve, let me see here, number four just moved on me. It aspires to involve Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries in the pacification and reconstruction of Gaza. It would formalize the path towards peace with Saudi Arabia, whose strategic, economic, and political benefits are incalculable for Israel and the Saudis and the rest in the region. It would likely end the active conflict with Hezbollah and enable Israel to focus on diplomatic effort um, to implement the UNSC resolution. Man, it would probably end the Houthi outrage in the Red Sea. Basically, John, I mean, we're going to get into this at 2 o'clock. But what they are saying is they're trying to push Israel into a peace plan. The world, the pressure's there. I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. It appears from one of your friends that had commented to you offline, Israel's being forced into it, and that could be the meaning of a confirm in Daniel chapter 9. Folks, the world pressure is coming against Israel now. You better submit, and you better go to peace. And the Judge Napolitanos are very uh, influential in the sense of public opinion, saying it's your fault, we're tired of it, Israel, you will submit. So when we read our Bible, we go, things are going exactly as people like you and myself said. When Israel comes to the other side of what's going on in Gaza, the pressure is going to increase substantially, and it is, folks. So I look at that and think, uh, we'll, we'll, again, we'll get into that at 2 o'clock, and, and I would tell you it's going to be something you can want to share with all your friends, but is peace, is this peace plan of Daniel chapter 9 coming. It is coming. I promise you it's coming. I don't know when, but we it, look at this pressure. It, it is the focus of everybody in the world right now. Everybody is talking about Isn't that it. Isn't amazing? So, I mean, so, amazing. Have, so let's say there's 25,000 dead Gazans. Many of those are Hamas operatives, Hamas supporters. And so the numbers are, the numbers are skewed. And it's war. I mean, it's it's like, what do you have to do to prevent this from happening in the future? It's war. This is what happens in war. And, you know, we don't like people dying and that type of thing. But listen, this is this is eradicating an, an enormous evil that needs to be done. But we have, for example, we have 300,000 at least dead over the past number of year, few years in Yemen. We have probably a million dead in Syria, Syria. we have yeah. 6 million people displaced left Syria. Yeah. Nobody says a word about this, and that's but Muslim. when it's Israel, everybody yeah. gets their knickers in a knot and their panties in a water, whatever you want to call it about this. And this is, this is prophetic in the way that it's happening. So absolutely, it's, and I knew, you know, you know, this is coming. And I, I think I said this to you that, you know, I've, I've talked about on Ezekiel chapter eight, Ezekiel chapter nine before Ezekiel chapter eight, at the time of the Babylonian captivity, you know, Ezekiel's taken back in a vision to Jerusalem and he sees the abominations in the temple. They're, they're, they're putting graven images on the wall. They're, they're bowing towards the sun, which means from the temple mount, they were turning their back to the, to the Holy of Holies and bowing towards the Mount of Olives where the sun would rise. 
in a, in a complete, it was an abomination. It was led by the leaders, but then in Ezekiel chapter nine, it says, you know, the, the person who's going to execute judgment, they, they come forward and they said, listen, go put a mark. Actually, there is a good mark in scripture and it's a pattern, which I'll answer this question that uh, was sent in here in just a second. The pattern though, is that there is a good mark, a bad mark and there's a good mark. And you want to be marked by the Lord, a mark of the Lord. It says, put a mark on all those who sigh and groan at the abominations around them. And so one of the, the, the sort of a test as to whether you're on board with the Lord's program is do you sigh and groan at the abominations that you see around you? And if you're not, then you've, you've got a problem. You've got a spiritual problem. And so that that's a pattern. And, and so to answer the question about Amos one, so there, there's all these things in Amos one, uh, for example, Amos uh, one, six, I'm reading from a new King James says for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to eat them. Now it's kind of interesting, the terminology that's used there. First of all, it uses Gaza. So we know where Gaza is <clears throat> and Gaza, you know, the area of the ancient uh, Philistines was, was always a problem. It was never conquered by Israel. You know, that's where uh, Samson met his demise, but it talks about Gaza and delivering them up to Edom. Now there's a pretty good tradition within Palestinian history and thought that Edom, that the Palestinians are Edom. They come from Edom. <laughs> and when we use these ancient names, it's kind of hard, but they're the ones who take Edom on themselves. We're the Edomites. And so there, so I think when I read this passage, we're going to take them captive. That's their goal in Gaza and deliver them up to Edom. Tom, I'm just telling you, does this not play right into this? We need to have Israel make peace with the Palestinian authority to run Gaza. It, it, you, know, you, it, you could put it in yeah. modern terms and say it's, it's the Edomites running Gaza. So it is. And when you look at it, I find it really interesting when you look at Amos chapter 1. Um, I taught on that passage a while back, uh, just going through the minor prophets. But when you look at it and you realize, wait a minute, these are the same territories that all come back again. Uh, Damascus, right. Gaza, the Edomites. Um, we think of uh, Jordan. We think of, you know, Bill Salas has done his work on uh uh, Psalm 83, he's identified where the people are, he's put them into place. Whether or not people agree with the Psalm 83 war coming, still, he's done an outstanding job of putting all of the people groups into the proper place of where they live today. And what do you see? You see you see this problem with Gaza. What it mentions Tyre and Sidon, is, does it not? And yeah, I know it, it does, mentions yeah. Tyre in there. It mentions Amun. You know, Entire, you know, we know it was destroyed, but that's that's one of the that's a Hezbollah stronghold right now. So is this going to be dealt with? And then well, the question is, yeah. when does it get dealt with? And does it change? And so some people might say, well, maybe the area of southern Lebanon would come into the Abraham Accords because Hezbollah is defeated in a war. And so I listen. This I don't want to 
take away everything from um, five. Well, we'll talk about it in a few hours, but there is this. Uh, so the pattern, one of the things to remember is pattern is prophecy in Jewish thought. So the pattern that you see, for example, some would say that the whole book of Genesis is a pattern for how human history is going to unfold. An example with that would be is that we know that there's this conflict between the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau. And then Esau is later identified. He marries into this line and it says Esau is Edom. So there's a conflict between Jacob and Esau. And it's going to, it's going to be an everlasting conflict, but in a Jewish mind. So some of the rabbis and everything would say, but look at the pattern well, the pattern is that at the funeral of Abraham, I'm sorry, the funeral of Isaac, Jacob and uh, Esau reconciled. And so that is a picture of a future reconciliation that will take place. Now, I think we would say after Messiah comes and returns and all this is cleaned up and they say it will happen at Hebron because that's where it happened before. So that's the pattern that's been established. So it's sometimes is difficult. And, and sometimes these prophecies, they have, um, a surface meaning, but they also have a deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't know till later what the the deep, deeper meaning is as the pattern repeats. Right. Well, uh, one of those things would be uh, in Isaiah chapter seven, where you have uh, Isaiah is talking about the virgin. Well, mm-hmm. come to find out, it was really prophetic, although it was a real life story, and mm-hmm. the term virgin applied differently in, in what Isaiah was specifically referring to, Matthew points out, hey, wait a minute, that was actually prophetic towards something far more, far greater than what Isaiah was actually in originally in Isaiah's thought. And the same, uh, when we look at the Old Testament feast days and sacrifices, we know from the New Testament, all those were the shadow, but the substance is Christ. So just like you're saying, what we see is these things happening, and I don't think it's a coincidence that there in Amos you have Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, the the, the person asking the question didn't mention those cities also, Ekron, and these are the areas that are all surrounding surrounding, um, uh, Gaza. They were the five Philistine cities, and these are areas that were constantly hit by rockets, and then Gaza itself, the rockets coming from it's, it's not a coincidence that these are still the areas that Israel is dealing with to this day, including the Golan Heights, which was a problem, including Judea and Samaria, which you have bad kings that ran both and they were judged. And today they're called the West Bank. So all of these problem areas, God is, it's, God is letting us know, hey, we're still going to deal with these. Israel's still going to be dealing with these up until the Messiah comes. And I think that's what we are witnessing. Right. And, and the kings, like in the area of Judea and Samaria, complain about the settlers. Okay. So here's here's a, a somebody sent me this. This is a, uh, it looks like a rock, but it's got cuneiform on it. And it's a, um, I don't know if I can get it very well in focus, but the, it's it's one of the Armada letters that was written by the king of Shechem. It's a it's a representation of it. You can see the original, by the way, in the British Museum in London. 
And the, the king of Shechem wrote to the pharaoh in Egypt at the time of the conquest. He sent him a letter saying, I need help. I'm being overrun by these haparus, which sounds like Hebrews. These haparu people are coming into the land and overrunning the place. I need help. And so this is so if that's a pattern of the conquest. Now it's a pattern that is kind of manifesting itself again. And it, it's difficult because we don't know how many times these patterns repeat and when the ultimate final fulfillment is. But I think we're in this time where we're getting pretty close to these ultimate final fulfillments. We are, John. When these things become clear. We, we totally are. And, and we know where this is going to go because of God's word. John, you wrote an email to me earlier, and, and I don't want to get into all the details of it because I, I don't want to quote something you don't want me to quote online. No, it's fine. But, okay. Uh, uh, you you said you have a friend. I won't mention their name. You can mention it at the 2 o'clock if you want, because really we'll get into this at 2 o'clock, who hosts the Middle East Briefing on Revelation TV in the U.K. And uh, he, Oh, Simon Barrett. Yeah, Simon he wouldn't Bar- mind being okay. mentioned. Uh, he, you say he just sent me this. I am preparing a program on... Uh, This EU peace plan revealed today, tomorrow, as our defense minister publicly rebuked Netanyahu, rejection of a Palestinian state, and we were hit with nationwide storm and winds of 90 miles per hour. By the way, I'm going to have Bill Koenig talking to me about that tomorrow on the app exclusive. Um, He's sending that info on to Koenig, who I think heard it on uh, last week. I was discussing this on Prophecy Roundtable last week, the Daniel 9.27 and the meaning of Kabar. Uh, the word confirmed, I said it connotes force and might mean it's literally shoved down Israel's throat. Um, and then you, you mentioned that, uh, uh, yeah, you've, you've done that, you've mentioned that to me before. And then there's this article of the Times of Israel, EU's top diplomat, Palestinian state may need to be imposed on Israel from the outside. I'm going to save that one for two o'clock, John, because okay. that is unbelievable when you read when you read the words that are said that Israel's going to be forced into that peace plan but going back to that question from Amos chapter 1 yeah all these things it's like we're going to see the ultimate fulfillment they had a purpose Isaiah 28 would be one of those where Isaiah 28 you have a a covenant an agreement uh, that Babylon wasn't going to invade uh, Judah but it did I believe that ultimately is going to have its real fulfillment in the coming future with the Daniel 9 covenant. But let's get into that later because I think there's okay. so much going with the peace plan. <laughs> These things are so okay. inter- intertwined, it's hard they, to kind of they break are, them apart. And well, we're going to deal with the peace plan, folks, because it's coming. Okay. All right. Cindy Martinevia uh, uh, from the website asks, why would God send a strong delusion on the earth if he wants all to know the truth and to believe in him? That's a pretty easy question because God even says in 2 Thessalonians 2, why he's going to send that strong delusion. John, do you want to take that one? He says it so they would, look, he gives everybody a complete opportunity to accept him or not, you know, so that there's no compulsion in it. And the thing is, if they want to believe the lie, they can believe the lie. Yeah, yeah, basically that's what he says, is is, uh, uh, because they refuse the love of the truth, there comes a point where God says, um, uh, "We're, it's over. You, you've you've crossed the Rubicon. Uh, you've crossed the tipping point, and we know that's going to happen 
We can tell that's going to happen sometime during the tribulation period because uh, we know Antichrist is going to uh, sit in the temple, demand to be worshipped as God, and God will send a strong delusion upon the people so that they will believe the lie because they would not receive the love of the truth. So we know that day is coming when God says, okay, uh, we think of Genesis where God says he will not strive with man forever. And ultimately, the Old Testament, well, that's coming back in the end times too. Kind of like what we were saying with the prophecies from Amos. We're going right. to see them. It's ultimately going to have its ultimate fulfillment. A judge of Noah's day, a judge of the Tower of Babel, guess what? A judgment is coming again. So God won't strive with man forever, and that's ultimately what happens there. Right. Um, here's another question for you. Edwin on YouTube asks, what age can I inform my children about what's really going on about the Bible and prophecy? My kids are one and four years old. Boy, at one and four, I wouldn't want to scare them too much. <laughs> so, look, I'll only share um, what happened to me as a child. My dad loved Bible prophecy. You know, when I when he passed away, he had all of his sermons and outlines he had ever done in notebooks. And he had a number of notebooks with just prophecy, you know, prophecy topics. And I remember as a kid, we would have, that would have prophecy conferences and he would have guys come like say John Whitcomb, for example, who uh, went to seminary with dad at Grace Seminary and the co-author of, uh, with uh, Henry Morris of the Genesis flood. And I can, they would, they would come for a prophecy conference and then they would come over to the house for a snack after, you know, the meeting and they would sit there and talk about this stuff in even more detail than their, what they would talk about in their messages at the conference. And that was back in the day when they, you, kids didn't get, sh go play on your iPhone, Johnny. I didn't have an iPhone back then. And so we would sit around the table and listen to this stuff. So I'm like, let the kid absorb what you're talking about. You know, I don't know that you need to shove it down their throat, but talk about what's going in, on in the world so they're informed. It's not, I don't know if maybe I shouldn't say, well, you know, didn't mess me up. Look how I turned out. But maybe some people would say that's not, that's not necessarily a good testimonial. But um, I, I don't think it, I don't think it hurts. A year ago, I was in Israel for the Christian Media Summit on and on Shabbat, went down to some friend's house uh, in Efrat. And they're Orthodox Jews, okay? You know, and they, they make it very clear, we don't believe in Jesus. And so they had kids there. I think the boys are like seven, nine, and a girl 15. Just a wonderful, super unbelievable, wonderful young lady. And they read the 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 Torah portion for Shabbat. And the Torah portion was Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. And so we, we sat there at the, at the dinner table and they talked about the past. It was a very interesting discussion because the seven-year-old and nine-year-old were talking about it and they were arguing about it. And like, well, the, you know, certain rabbis have said this and oh, I think that rabbi is, you know, not very bright. And, but, you know, let's talk about a pretty bad incident, a guy being kidnapped and sold by his brothers. And it's like, it didn't mess these kids up. So I think we're a little bit too careful 
sometimes with our kids and exposing them to things. And I do think we, we, we also want to make sure that we do remind them of the hope that we have. Sure. Uh, and so what, one problem that is the way prophecy is received sometimes, people only hear the negative and they miss the positive. Sure. And sometimes it's because the only thing that's ever talked about is the negative. But the positive is, I mean, the positives in Bible prophecy are absolutely incredible. You know, and it's it's understanding that balance. I mean, if you just tell your four-year-old, hey, we're all going to die. There's a mark of the beast. We're all going to get our heads cut off. And then you walk out of the room. That's, you know, <laughs> that's not exactly the best way to do it. Uh, no, but, but it. put it all in context. So, I mean, I have a friend, a pastor friend in Southern California, and he had two daughters. And when the youngest one turned two, he said that for the next 16 years till they left home to college, their only family devotions was they read through the entire Bible each year, each, you know, they would sit each night and read portions and they did the entire Bible each year out loud with their kids for 16 years in a row. Oh, that's great. And, and he said, and the, the kids turned out great, you that, know, that, and they that, know the scripture. Yeah, and that includes the scary parts. I think that's what we're supposed to do. I look at my kids. They grew up with me. You know, my, my son now works with, with me. He's had to put up with my prophecy messages since he was born, you know, 20, right. for all 22 years. He's, he's a pretty good kid. So it's, it's uh, but there, but I think sometimes people go, you can get way too far out there into the deep end. But if you stick with the Bible and the truth, it's going to be great. Right. Let the word of God act like a living, breathing sword of the Lord that it is. A- a- amen. It's going to have the good, the bad, and the ugly, just like a Clint Eastwood movie, but better. That's right. <laughs> Catherine, <laughs> Catherine Cole on YouTube says, if um, Book of Revelation isn't in chronological order, how do we know where we are at? That's, that's, that's a, how far do we want to get into this, John? <laughs> well, you know, there, there are some very, there are a couple different views. One is it's largely, I don't think anybody would say it's completely chronological. Others would say that it's chronological as to the seals, bowls, seals, trumpets, and bowls. And then others would say that it's, uh, and I think maybe Lee Brainerd holds this position that it's sort of a chiastic view that you know that it's 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 in a pattern that this right. relates to this. Yeah, he he looks at the yeah basically the seals are going to be throughout the uh, tribulation period. Um, I take the view when it comes to which I don't think you do or Lee does but the seals and then the trumpets and then the bowls. Um, but there, there are the different opinions and we're not go. our salvation isn't based upon that. Well, one thing I want to look at, and this is something, by the way, this is kind of an interesting point too, is uh, I've been around church and church people and Christians all my life. And the one thing that I've learned is that uh, no one knows everything. Uh, and you don't get saved and immediately have full, complete knowledge. There's this process that we all go through. <laughs> and some move along more quickly than others. But, you know, one of the things I'm trying to look at right now, though, is the relationship between the seals, trumpets, and bowls. And so my view of the seals has been a seal opens, 
and you see this sort of long increase, increasing pattern or increase uh, this, everything goes up over time, but it doesn't finish before the next seal opens so that you have these concurrent events from the seals taking place. And then I'm not so sure that the trumpets don't expand on the things in the seals. And then the bulls are like, you know, my, my view is the bulls are really, they're really outpouring the wrath of God. And so I just see this like crescendo, like leading up to the, um, uh, we all, you know, we all go to these 4th of July celebrations. They always play the 1812 overture and it's this kind of calm, quiet thing. Then all of a sudden it's rockets and fireworks and bombs bursting and all this stuff. And so that's kind of how I view revelation is that, is this buildup over time. And then, man, there's this just explosion of things. That's, that's currently how I'm looking at it, but I think it's largely chronological. Um, Yeah. I I would say I take it as largely chronological. I do believe um, that chapter one, verse 19 of the book of revelation gives us a good idea of the outline, the glory of God past the glory of God present, the glory of God future, and the glory of God future does involve judgments. When you think of Revelation chapter 19, you see that we are standing around the throne praising God for the judgment that he has brought. You know, it's finished. So um, so God is glorified in all of it because he is the one who is righteous. But we do have what I would call... um, the church age, chapters two and three, which you would also look at the church age. I I believe this about the chapters two and three, John. Some Bible teachers believe that each one of the churches that are represented, the first one is what? uh, The Church of Ephesus. Yeah, so yeah, that, the loveless church. You go right on through them. Um, You end up with Laodicea at the end. They say, well, there's each one represents an era in church history. I, to me, I don't necessarily see it that way. I see them as uh, they, they were seven legitimate churches operating in the area of Asia Minor, a.k.a. modern Turkey. And you can find all seven characteristics in every generation since the beginning of the church. You, and within each church, you can find individuals that you're going to have a Philadelphia style of person who loves the Lord. You're going to have the right. persecuted. And you're going to have the lukewarm. There, there are lukewarm churches. There are compromising churches today. And there are on fire churches today. So I think all seven of the characteristics can be found at any time within the church. And they don't just represent an era of church his, of, of, of world history. What do you think on those? Yeah, I mean, I think you could probably make a case that the predominant uh the predominant each era of the church, like Ephesians would be the church at Ephesus would be the first era that would be, that would predominate. And then we, we go through, we get to Pergamum and Smyrna and uh, uh, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I mean, I think you can make the case that they, that those different eras have sort of that church has predominated in that particular era. But I, you know, I don't think it's a hard and fast, Rule certainly, honestly, the the application of the churches would be to individual churches, to the church at large, and to individuals within the churches. 
uh, things that we should be looking for and doing. I just preached on Sunday about uh, Paul at Ephesus uh, and the uh, the riot at Ephesus that occurred. And I, I did go into Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, about what Jesus had said in the letter to the church at Ephesus, that you have left your first love. Yeah. And I, it's kind of interesting, too, because then you – you go into like, well, Paul wrote first Corinthians while he was in Ephesus. So you go to first Corinthians 16 and you see, Oh, you know, he talks about stand firm in the faith, act like men, but do everything with love. And then that kind of ties into the later admonition that was given to the church at Ephesus. And by the way, John was the head of the church at Ephesus. Mary, yeah. the mother of Jesus lived there. Yeah. With John. And so that's, you know, when you start factoring all that stuff in, it's, it's kind of interesting. It is. So, uh, listen, I, I got to go here in just a minute, but, um, cause I got more I have to do. And then we're back on live. This will at two o'clock, um, join us because we're going to be, John and I are going to get into the whole peace plan and what is going on. So this is out of the times of Israel is Burrell, the article you were re- referring to, uh, Burrell, who is, the um, uh, he's one of the diplomats, foreign, Minister of the EU, the foreign, Union. foreign policy chief, Joseph Burrell. He said that uh, the only peaceful solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict included the creation of a Palestinian uh, state, and he suggested it might need to be imposed from the outside without Israel's agreement. The actors are too oppressed to be able to reach an agreement autonomously, if everyone is in favor of this solution, the international community will have to impose this agreement on Israel. I I look at this, and John, it's coming, and I think people need to be aware of what's coming. The pressure increasing against Israel is is, uh, unbelievable, as we assumed it was going to be based upon what the Bible says. And, And I'm looking going, I, things are, things are happening so fast, and so I really want to spend time getting into this coming peace plan today because that's where we really need to talk about it. So, John, I'm actually going to cut you off right now. That's fine. However, I'm going to answer. See you in a couple hours. Okay. I will say this. Peggy had a question on YouTube. Uh, Is there a chance for those after the rapture to be saved? John and I have a different position on the rapture. So I'll just say this. I believe, yes, if they've heard the gospel, they aren't saved. They're still going to be able to be saved during the tribulation period. Um, agree 100%. Yeah. And, and, uh, so, um, anyways, everybody, God bless you guys. We'll see you at two o'clock. It's going to be outstanding because we're going to get into this peace plan, what it means for Israel, what is coming. And, uh, let me tell you, friends, hold on to your seats because 2024 is a, it's a rocking year and we're watching all focus on Jerusalem right now. See you back here. Two o'clock. Bye. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.